Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your hosts, Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus. And welcome to another episode of the Growth Equation Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined by my co-host, Brad Stolberg. And this week, we've got a really interesting topic. We've brought in Cal Newport, author of Digital Minimalism and a slew of other books to talk about work. Working on the weekends, the moral weight of working versus not working. We dive into a very nuanced and intricate discussion on the value of work. So without further ado, let's dive into it. So a little while ago on a weekend, I saw a tweet from a woman named Jordan Kong, who appears to be a partner at an investment firm, a VC firm. And she wrote, unpopular opinion, colon, the best thing young people can do early in their careers is to work on the weekends. And I jumped on that with a quote retweet that did quite well. And I said, disagree, deadlift, take long walks, read fiction, listen to music. And since Twitter is a place where all nuance goes to die, we figured that we'd unpack this on the podcast because it's probably not so simple. Should we work on the weekends? Should we not? Uh, I think this gets into broader, more interesting philosophical questions about how do we define work? What's the role of work in our lives? Is work separate from quote unquote life or a part of it? And so on. Um, and, you know, Cal is the perfect person to dive deep on this with. So here we are. Yeah. And I have to say, I was intrigued when I saw this thread you sent to me. And one of the things that intrigued me, and this can be a foundation for the discussion, is that if you look at the reply threads, basically both sides of this issue has their own view of what the conventional wisdom is. So the original quote says, oh, this is an unpopular opinion. The idea being that most people would disagree in our current culture that working on the weekends or that type of that, that is good. Whereas you saw on the other side, well, there's this culture out there, this dominant culture of we should work all the time that we're pushing back on. So there's something interesting in that, I think that, and maybe this is a Twitter thing where you, there's a, a, a tendency to create, okay, like most people think this other thing that I am now, I am now puncturing. Both sides think the same thing. So let's start there maybe. What actually is the dominant culture on this issue? What is the thing that currently dominates how people think about this? In other words, which of these two sides? Uh, and I forgot, what was the name of the original person again? Uh, her name was Jordan Kong. And I, I don't know her. This just popped up because a lot of people were retweeting it. So who, yeah, so I guess this is the question. Is it is Jordan or Brad in this discussion the one expressing an unpopular opinion? I don't actually know the answer. You probably have a better sense. Yeah, that's a that's a difficult one. And I think the answer is probably somewhere in the middle, right? I mean, Brad and I are guilty of this too, right? We set up this uh, this argument that everybody is like wanting to grind in this grind culture to get better, which has some truth in it, right? There is some truth behind that, but there's also this this counter argument that people also tend to, you know, 
enjoy their weekends, have balance, quote unquote, balance in their life, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, I think that when you frame things like this on Twitter, Twitter tends to incentivize like takes that are counterculture or counter opposites. So it almost incentivizes you to like take this hard stand, which isn't necessarily true. The only thing I'll add is I think that you also get a group of individuals who are very vocal on the internet about how terrible work is and how terrible working on the weekend is and how terrible chasing Twitter followers is and so on, yet they're doing these very things themselves all the time. Um, so there's a, a little bit of a hypocritical notion. And you know, part of the, the, the discussion on Twitter that I sent you, Cal, is I, I caught myself and I said, well, actually, it's a little bit more nuanced than just don't work on the weekend in deadlift um, because there I was on the weekend texting a colleague about this thing that I saw. Um, so I, I th- that's why I wanted to unpack this. And I, I, I think ultimately, maybe starting with the end, my end game is that we should stop moralizing work. It's not good to work on the weekend. It's not necessarily bad to work on the weekends. Um, and we should bring some more clarity to how we define these terms and, and what they mean and how we approach them. Do you work on the weekends, Kel? Um, no, so I have pretty clear rules about this. So when it comes to most of my work, so let's say the stuff I do as a professor, I'm very much nine to five during the week. I don't work on the weekends on that type of thing with the the exception being if there's a deadline on Monday. So certain things like collaborative projects I do have deadlines on Mondays. My collaborators do not follow the Cal Newport School of Advanced Planning. That's So that's my only exception. Um, writing, I'll often do a writing block on Sunday mornings. But so that's, it's, but it's really controlled. So no, I don't, I also don't work in the evening with the exception of one evening uh, a week. I will often, that's when I write my, my weekly blog essay. So I don't. So I'm I'm actually from the the Brad Stolberg school of weekend work here. <laughs> the school as articulated on Twitter, um I don't and I never have. So I don't know where, I don't I don't know where that puts me. That doesn't put me on the argument, but this is actually something we talked about when you were in town and at my studio recently, Brad, was I'm plugged into elite discourse on a lot of things, and so the the elite discourse on work, the sort of New York New York Times Substack discourse on work is very, very antagonistic, like anti-work, anti-product, not anti-work, but anti-busyness, anti-productivity as a goal, very antagonistic versus employers. So trying to push a sort of classic modernist sort of Marxist type, the employers are uh, at opposition with the employees. Like this is very big right now. And I'm in such an elite bubble, you know, it's like a city dwelling academic New Yorker writer. I honestly am trying to figure out is that elite discourse, which is very much anti-busyness and productivity, is that very narrow or is that reflecting the way most people feel? Because if most people actually maybe are still, hey, let's just go for it, get after it, work harder, you know, be the first in the parking lot and, and that discourse is pushing back on it. Or maybe that discourse is setting up a straw man because most people are already on board. I honestly can't poke out of my bubble. So I don't know if, if you, Steve, or you, Brad, you know, living, both of you now live outside of super city elite bubbles <laughs> geographically. So maybe you have a better sense here. I'm trying to figure that out. I I think that it is a little bit of a straw man. And I think that it's a little bit of elite 
people in that kind of elite circle that are always working, looking at themselves and being upset that they can't stop working on the weekends and then perhaps generalizing it to everybody must face this challenge. And then I think there's also this notion that it's not good to work on the weekends. And this is where I push back. And ultimately, I, I, I contradicted myself on Twitter. I said, well, in some circumstances, it is. And it ultimately depends on how you define work. So real quick before I know, Steve, you were about to chime in before going there. You said that you only do that one writing block. Do you read books on the weekend, Cal? Yeah, sure. So when you're reading books, presumably you're getting ideas for things you're going to write about. Mm-hmm. You take walks on the weekend and exercise? Yeah. So when, when I think about So work, this is what I'm getting at. Like, what is work? Yeah. Yeah, right. So for me, since I use scheduling, right, when, when I'm working, it's 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 time blocked. It's what I'm trying to get done. I guess it's instrumental. So maybe the, the difference here is the, the instrumentality, right? So to me, work is, okay, this is, I need to get this done. I'm making progress. I'm writing this thing, I'm making progress on this, where I, I think of be- brainstorming, just general consumption of information is just the water I swim in. But that could be, that could be arbitrary. But I think I, I, I take your point, Brad, it's what you're saying also about the people who are tweeting about this and about all of this is kind of work in some sense, right? So there's, there's, there's not some necessarily some clear cutoff um, because I do read, I do think, I do, I read and think all the time. Uh, so, uh, so that's a good question. Well, so, but like Steve, do you work on the weekend? I mean, what's your, how do you handle this? Um, I work on the weekend if my wife is doing work on the weekend. And what that means is, so she's a teacher, which has crazy strange hours, especially this year. Um, which often means she's forced to do her planning and preparation work on the weekend because of COVID. There has been no time for planning or prep during her normal time period. So whenever she does that, I tend to then dive into work because, you know, or else it's just kind of me sitting there while she's working. In an ideal world, I don't work on the weekend. I save that space for either reading, exploring, or what I'd call, or some sort of journaling or idea creation, um, more creative stuff than, say, making progress or trying to move forward on something. So I'm going to take a stab of defending, I'm going to reword Jordan's tweet. Brad, you kind of did this, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to basically say the same thing that she said, but slightly differently. So see if I can capture, capture her intention in a way I actually agree with. Right. So, you know, I wrote this book so good. They can't ignore you back in 2012. And one of the big ideas of that book is that the main leverage you have to make your working life, something really meaningful to you. And this really could mean actually doing very little work, or it could mean doing a lot of work and being highly impactful. It could mean being an important political figure or a CEO of a successful startup, or it could mean you live on Vancouver Island and work four hours a week or, or whatever, the best leverage you have is rare and valuable skills, right? The things to make great work great uh, is valuable. So you have to do something great to get it. And so there's an argument that, oh, during your 20s, where you know you you have a lot of time, you have a lot of energy, you presumably don't have a family and as thick ties into community obligations, you should really be thinking about how can I acquire as much of that, what I call career capital as possible so that as I get towards my third, into my thirties and into that second stage of life with family and community connections, 
I now have leverage where it's really going to count. And so my, my degenerous rewording would be, hey, young people, uh, instead of worrying too much about what does this job bring me, if I found the right job now, what else am I interested in? Think about your future self. Now is the time to build that capital so that you can get the compound interest on it over time. That is the 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 hustling now is not going to be as hard than when you have three kids. And the benefits of the hustling now are going to give you a lot more options once you get there. Is that you know, am I being fair? You think I'm going in a it's actually a completely different interpretation. I think you're being fair there. And I think what you're bringing into it is almost this kind of seasonality to it to a degree, uh, which reminds me of something in the coaching world that we say often, which is it's easier to maintain something instead of building it. So you have to put in a lot of work up front to build something. And then once you do, it's easy to maintain that capacity or capability. And I think if I'm hearing your argument or your position there that you just outlined, it's when you're young in your 20s, you have all this energy, you don't have as many, um, you know, other uh, things that you have to pay attention to. So you can spend more time and energy to build. And then once you've built up those skills, then you can maintain them and put them to use. What, Brad, would you summarize your, your discomfort with, with Jordan's tweet having to do with what it symbolizes about letting work take over sort of all aspects, like essentializing all aspects of your life. In other words, that that's the piece which could be orthogonal to the question of build rare and valuable skills hard while you're young and, and have the energy to do it. it is that's what is it was that was getting you? What what was the vision, the negative vision you were seeing that promote? To me, the negative vision was this grind hustle culture where always be working more. The person that works the hardest, not the smartest, the hardest is going to win. Push, push, push. And I think that that is a message that to me still is a popular opinion, particularly in like the San Francisco tech world in, in, in finance, I think is another place as well. And all the research shows that that's just not true. For very kind learning environments where there's patterns and things progress linear, linearly, yes, you can put in big blocks of intellectual work and make progress. But for anything that requires creativity, this gets back to defining work broadly. It's actually during the periods of taking a walk or playing with your kids or lifting weights or gardening or reading nonfiction or fiction that you have the generative creative breakthrough thoughts. So even if your goal was to progress at work, if you're in knowledge work and you didn't have time away from work, you wouldn't be progressing. So there's both a cultural thing, hey, rest for its own sake is good. And then there's just a performance thing, which is you need to have rest to have good breakthrough creative thinking. So I think what ultimately rubbed me the wrong way is, um, yeah, it's just like this, the, the, the Gary Vanderchuk work, work, work. And I don't think that that works, no pun intended, for a lot of people. So two things that come to my mind while you outline there, Brad, that I think are relevant to this, and one that, that Cal mentioned earlier, is part of the problem is that we've, with work, we've moralized it 
and then moralize the success and failure that comes along with it, right? And this is a deeply ingrained in American society. And I think that there's some underlying assumptions that get us in, in, in trouble here is that if you are not succeeding, you are either not working hard enough or you are like lazy or in or or not wanting to put in that work, right? So what happens is part of this will work on the weekends. It's almost like this show or this this you know demonstration that like oh I'm not like this other side that like is lazy or incapable. I'm I am putting forth an effort, which then means that like I should succeed or have this like. I don't know, moral value or authority that comes with it. Real quick, there's a moralizing on the opposite side too, because I wonder how many of the people that go around saying, oh, working on the weekend is terrible. We should never work on the weekend. They're all under, you know, in the corner working on the weekend, trying to get ahead while moralizing that that's bad as well. So I think it cuts both ways. Well, well, and, and by the way, I agree with that. I agree with your take on that, that when those who are making this anti-work as a moral cause argument, that this idea that let's separate, you know, work itself is exploitative, right? They are 100% sort of in a elite media sphere where everyone is doing that. And it's how they are judging people and it's how they are being judged <laughs> and it is what and is what they have, have chosen to do. But I mean, honest question about this, though, where in the last 10 years, what are the right examples? Where Where do we see... This is my, my straw man approach. Where do we actually see the, what's the relevant literature here? Where do we see since, I mean, if we go forward from, let's say, like the Reagan anti-welfare revolution or something like this, or, or, or from social Darwinism in the late 19th century, what are the source documents out there in the last 10 years that are sort of unabashedly saying, yeah, uh, working more is good and people who don't are lazy. I mean, I've, I've, heard that approach attacked consistently ever since the sort of backlash uh, since the 80s. But you mentioned Vanderchuk, but that's also sort of in the entrepreneurial realm, which has its own sort of world. This is what I'm trying to get at is, is there, a, where are the source documents for this? Like who, who are the people on the other side of this? So I'll, I'll give the relevant example that pops up to, into my head. It might not fit exactly. But I think you see this, I think this uh, moralizing comes out to a degree in the debates you're seeing going on right now about um, increased unemployment checks, right? And it, we need to take away uh, the increase in unemployment because that is incentivizing people not to work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think underlying that is this notion that, again, like work is tied to like success value. And we need to almost like, there's a certain portion of the population that is quote unquote lazy or not, or not motivated to, to do this work for its sake on its own. So we need to poke and prod or take away something that is a value to them so that like they get in act and, and put in the work that you or, or I are doing is kind of the mindset I see. I'd right. agree. Like, like the, the, Yeah. The welfare oh, reform argument. Yeah. Uh, though not to put on the, the national review hat, I'll just play that role. You know, the, the counter would be like, no, it's just a, it's a staffing issue. <laughs> if, if, if uh, you know, you can't get people back into restaurants, the restaurants don't have waiters. Right. So there's, there's the, but, I, but your point taken is that there's a difference between what is said and what's the underlying sentiment to which you're working backwards to find um, 
you know, a, a safer explanation. So there, there could be that dynamic going on for sure. And you follow that all the way down and maybe that restaurant shouldn't exist if it can't pay the waiters and waitresses minimum wage. And maybe we should have less restaurants and not fast food on every block, but every two blocks instead. Um, but this is actually, but this is actually itself really informative for me because once you see there's a connection to politics, um, then suddenly sort of the, the, uh, the discourse on it kind of also makes a lot more sense because once something can also have a connection to politics, then political related tribes get involved. Uh, and then there's like a ton of backfilling. So if I'm writing for, you know, a, a the New York times or something like this, then if I'm now associating, if that's vaguely associated with politically speaking, uh, my opponents, uh, I'm going to work backwards to, I mean, that, that now becomes an object of demon. So I wonder if that's part of what's going on here is like everything else in the stupid world you know, in recent years, uh, everything gets grafted onto a political topography. And then once it's on that topography, man, you got to defend your territory against the other. It doesn't matter what it is. You can use your brain to figure out like really savvy and sharp arguments. But I, you know, as someone who's not good at politics and is weirdly apolitical in a lot of things, I often get tripped up by this reality because everyone else is kind of sensing these energy fields and I miss them a lot. Can I try to connect the individual to maybe the broader cultural political? Yeah. So where I come down on this, and it's something that we've touched on quite a bit, we talked about it in the passion paradox. We talk about it on this podcast is, and we're talking about working on the weekend in this specific example Are you working because it is a free choice that you are making, or are you working out of compulsion? And that compulsion can be internal or external. So external compulsion is I won't make rent if I don't work on the weekend. I won't be able to get food if I don't work seven days a week, 10-hour shifts. The compulsion could also be internal which is probably what happens more in the elite circles, which what happens when I work on the weekend and afterwards I regret it. I'm not good enough. I need to push harder. If I want my book to sell a million copies, I constantly need to be pushing. I'm not working because I want to. I'm working because there's some compulsion. I'm not making a free choice. Whereas if you are making a free choice to work on the weekend, in the case of my own tweeting about this and then going and writing a growth EQ little blog post essay on the weekend, There was zero compulsion. I'm like, this is a really interesting topic. My mind is spinning on it. My wife's at the swimming pool with my kid. Rather than watch whatever I was going to watch on TV, basketball, I'm going to write this little essay. That has a very different texture than doing it because I needed to do it for the money or because I needed to do it for some sense of self-security or I felt like I, I had this internal compulsion. So I think that that's the biggest differentiator and how I'd connect that culturally, politically is I think what a lot of people on the left are maybe trying to argue is that we should remove the compulsion, the external compulsion, not enough money to live, pay for education, healthcare, whatever, from having to work seven days a week, 10 hours a day. And I think in the elitist circle, it's an internal compulsion. It's totally different. They don't need to work. They're fine. They could move to a smaller city. Like there's all kinds of things you could do. I have very little sympathy for the argument of someone living in San Francisco or New York City it's making 200K a year and says that they need to work more so they can survive to live, especially in this world where we can work remote more easily. Maybe if you're like a hospital worker or a primary care doctor, sure. But in the media, I think it's just a lot of navel gazing. So 
I think it's a lot truer, though, if you have someone with that external compulsion that needs to work because they've got to hit $30,000 income in the course of a year. Does that make any sense at all to either of you? So so what is the – so you're saying there's there's two different critiques going on here. So you're saying that the, the, there's, a, there's a critique of oh, extrinsic – uh, external. If you're being forced externally to work more, there, there's sort of a uh, economic political critique to be had that to, to try to make that unnecessary. Yep. Um, but when you, the, if you're working, let's say on the weekend because of the internal compulsion, are you saying this is actually where is this where a lot of this critique that you see, you know, anti productivity, anti whatever, like is a lot of this critique it's aimed at. Look, if you're doing this because of uh, an internal compulsion. What we're trying to accomplish with this critique is to reform that internal compulsion because uh, if it if it becomes too dominant, I mean, so so is that so maybe what you see, there's like a there's a there's a political battle is in the external in the external phase and the the Twitter battle is actually more on this internal compulsion phase though the two sometimes get inappropriately mixed. That's that's a very good summary, and that's 100% what I'm trying to say. And they have very different solutions, I think. And I'd go farther, excuse me, further and say that a lot of the people that are kind of in the Twitter or whatever having this conversation are probably doing it out of internal compulsion. Like if you have to analyze why you work on the weekend so much and is it good or is it bad and you're making over 150K a year, I wonder like where that's coming from. And it's hard to deduce, is it a free choice or is it compulsion? And sometimes it's very messy, especially if you're an entrepreneur or you're creative where your name is the brand, what can feel like freedom can turn into compulsion. But I think that ultimately for me and my definition of, is it good to work on the weekend? Is it a free choice or is it compulsion? And that's true for hobbies. Am I doing my strength workout because I feel like I have to, because if I don't, I'll feel bad about myself or what have you. Or am I doing it because I enjoy training, or at least I enjoy the feeling of having trained? And I think whatever's underlying that decision is is, is how I frame it. Is that the the harmonious versus obsessive passion research that, that you and Steve talked about in the passion paradox? Is that roughly what it's trying to talk about? I think that's one very good way to put it, yeah. So, so one thing that comes to mind as you outline this kind of internal versus external and this compulsion internally and this having this free choice I think another component of this is that people often think that having that compulsion to work on the weekend or put in extra work is required to obtain, you know, high levels of success. And I think we we often prop this up because you know I'll use sporting examples, but we use examples like uh, Kobe Bryant who would show up at the gym at 4 a.m., right, and get in work before things. We don't talk about the athlete who might be just as successful, but went home and played with his kids and just had normal practice routines. And I think that applies across, you know, in into intellectual and work life domains as well. So I think it's not only this, this like internal external, but also is this required to be as good as you want to be? And I think some people like very vehemently, you know, think that it, it absolutely is. This also gets to what at first rubbed me the wrong way about the tweet 
is another example of someone who does this is Jocko Willenick, the ex like Marine that writes all about discipline. And Jocko Navy SEAL, come on, Brad. Uh, what's that? Navy SEAL, come on, let's get it right. Oh, my bad. Navy SEAL. Jocko, if you're listening, man, I do not want to fight you. You would beat my ass. And no, Jocko, Jocko no, right now, Brad Brad is making faces while he says this. He wants he's flexing. No. He, he says if you see him, he wants you to immediately fight him. So, and, and I think from what I've listened, Jocko's a really thoughtful guy. It'd be interesting to try to get him for a similar conversation. He's become known for on Twitter, of course, where nuance goes to die. Every morning he posts a picture of his watch at between 4.29 and 4.32 a.m. Saying, I'm getting up really early to train. And my take on that is, so what? Okay, I train at 10 a.m., some people don't train at all. Are you happier? Are you healthier? Are you performing better? I don't know. And that's like the grind for the sake of grind. And again, nuance goes to die on Twitter. I'd love to learn more about what's happening. And maybe he's going to bed at eight and sleeping seven hours and it all makes sense. Um, but maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I, let me, I'll, I'll defend Jocko because I don't want my back broken. Uh, if I come across him, uh, well, he wakes up. Okay. I, I went on a deep dive on Jocko a little while back. So, which is what I do. Uh, he wakes up at, as he, he will talk about, he, he wakes up at four or whatever and works out because he, it's, he has a weird sleep. He's one of these guys that has a weird sleep clock. Um, and he, he readily acknowledges most people should not do that. You would, you would have exhaustion. It's one of the reasons why he was successful as a Navy SEAL. He's one of these guys that, uh, he sleeps four or five hours and he, and even when he tries not to, I don't think he has an alarm. He just, that's when he wakes up. So he's like, might as well, might as well exercise. But, uh, the thing that, that I think Jocko pushes for the, the generous interpretation is discipline and we can separate discipline from grinding. And maybe this will, this will circle back to what Steve was saying as well. And it goes to a lot of what I used to write about as well, that doing something really well, getting the career capital that gives you a lot of options requires a huge amount of hard work but rarely does it require a lot of hard work in one day, you know, and it goes back to the athlete example, you know, you're going to, if you're a cyclist, you're going to do a ton of training, but there's also only so much training you can do every day. And there's also these huge rest periods, like you guys talk about in peak performance and, and literally doing nothing is like a huge part of, you know, you know, training. Uh, and it's what I've always tried to separate is that they have a lot of options as a writer. You have to write a lot over many years, but there's never any need to be writing all day Sunday, every Sunday or something, right? There's only so much of that hard work you can do each day. And, and so I've often thought about building up that type of success over time as consistently coming back to the hard thing that's going to matter again and again and again, and having the diligence to say no to the other things so that, that you have time to do that in a sustainable factor, which is like the Jocko thing, which is do the things that are hard that you know long run will be important. And I think that's what he's trying to show with the wake up really early. That's a hard thing to do. He's like, I'm willing to do a hard thing, not hard because it took all day, but hard because, you know, the weight was heavy or the, or the hour was early. And so that's another, maybe that's a better way. There's like two different critiques going. Let me try to, I'm always trying to categorize everything. Okay. So the, the, the really think about these critiques too. One of, I think Brad's disagreements, which I share is at work on the weekend is code for, hustle is what generates success. And I think both Brad and Steve have now said, and I agree with, these are different. Doing the hard work consistently over a long period of time is typically what breeds success. It has nothing to do with working long hours. It has nothing to do with working on the weekend. 
Um, working long hours means you probably just have you know too much on your plate if you're in a position where you have you have that control. And then there's the the other critique which says, well, there's some, and this is the one I'm trying to get at, which is where you see people maybe that have complete intrinsic control basically over their work lives, trying to uh, externalize the reason, have an external foe to explain the reason why their internally driven work is making their life difficult. They're working all the time. They're constantly feeling stressed out. And this is the other line of critique here is saying, don't externalize if you're the reporter and whatever, don't externalize. There's some like evil force. That's, that's why, you know, you as someone with all this autonomy is working on the weekend and we have a foe that we have to attack. Don't throw the unionized Amazon workers into your discussion about why you're about knowledge, you know, writers writing too much on the weekends or something like that. That's not fair to them. That's a completely, you know, separate issue. You need to probably turn that back inward. So, so maybe these are our, our two lines of, of clarification here. One is hustle is somewhat unrelated from success. It's actually hard work over a long period of time, which is completely separate from hustle and work on the weekend feels like hustle. That's the wrong way to talk about how to do successful things. And then this whole, I'm critiquing the culture of having to work all the time because I'm doing it and I'm kind of upset with myself for doing it, but I'm going to blame it on someone else. It's a, it's a boss or economic materialism or some sort of vague force that's, you know, uh, no, that's about figuring out your own balance. I don't know. Am I, am I summarizing these two things properly? And if I have has also, if I inoculated myself from getting punched by Jocko, have I done both of those things? Yeah, really Jocko, you should go after Steve because he's the fastest. So he'll just run away. Um, leave Kel and I out of it. So, but I, you know, back to Jocko, I'd say that if, if the posting at four 30 is because it's a hard thing, but he, his body naturally wakes up then I still can't help separate it from like this grind culture, but maybe that's just because I'm not as schooled in, in what he is preaching. I do think discipline is a really good trait. And I think that discipline is really important. Back to your categorization. I think that you are there, if not very close and circling around it, I think that some of that external compulsion, internal compulsion overlap, you get a lot of people who are perhaps telling everyone not to work on the weekend and making it seem like it's this terrible thing, but then they themselves are still doing it. And that is also, I think, a part of like the Wanting an external, maybe it is easier, and I've been here, so I can put my own skin in the game. Wanting an external reason to blame your own insecurity and your own need for relevance is very helpful. So if you're a writer, a thinker, even someone in the corporate world that is grinding on the weekend and you don't have to, but you're doing it and you don't really want to, but you're still doing it, generally what that's a sign of is insecurity. And you want to feel relevant, you want to feel important, you want to feel like you're contributing And rather than own up to that and be like, huh, like, should I be hanging out with my kid fully present? Or am I so insecure that I have to work? You blame it on this thing that says, oh, I must work on the weekend. That's the non-generous view of people like me when I work on the weekend. The generous view is that in a culture that really prizes output, it does help you get ahead. And as long as you're not an idiot about it, the person that works two, three-hour blocks on the weekend and still sleeps, still has a family life, whatever it is, is going to ultimately end up more successful than the person that doesn't because two, three-hour blocks on a weekend doesn't kill you. Yeah, this is interesting. I'm trying to wrap my head around this and see where to go. But it, it, you know, I think what you're getting at a little bit there, Brad, is 
it's kind of similar to this like what story are you telling in your head and rationalizing it to degree and it's almost the opposite of um the concept of self-handicapping right where in this case you're you're working to ease that feeling or to cover that feeling of maybe uncertainty or insecurity that you have and that that feeling is the actual underlying driver but rather than like deal with it and be okay in the sense of like hey if i don't work this weekend i'm not going to fall behind like i'm still going to be productive i'm going to still meet my x y and z goals whatever have you it's much easier to just you know put your head down and work i mean it's no different than um sorry i tie everything to running and athletics but that's what i do so bear with me but it's no different than the runner or the athlete who is feeling a little fatigued or maybe a little sore or even a little injured and the smart thing to do is take the day off or the weekend off but instead because of that compulsion they maybe go cross train for like you know four hours because they don't want to quote unquote lose fitness. And they use that as a justification, even though it has no, you know, rational um, uh, impetus behind it. And instead it's that underlying feeling and insecurity that they have to satisfy uh, in order to move forward. Yeah. I think that's the perfect analogy. And as a knowledge worker, I think the equivalent to that is, reading, writing, responding to emails, doing something that feels pretty core to work, not because you want to, but you feel like you have to. And the move there is always just to like, go take a walk outside for four hours. I mean, it doesn't actually have to be four hours, but not only will you feel better, but that will also be better probably for your long-term progression as a knowledge worker, because we know both of us, both all three of us have documented in our respective work that it is actually during these breaks that all the hard focused, deliberate work, A, soaks in, B, encodes and connects, and C, you refresh so you can get going um, harder. And maybe that's why, Cal, some of the backlash that you get to productivity and Cal's a part of the capitalist problem, blah, 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 is because you approach it so rationally with boundaries in a very healthy way where it's like, yeah, if you're going to time block and you're going to work two by two hours on the weekend, go for it. To me, there's nothing wrong with that. It's an intentional decision. You're doing it. You're doing it in a season of your life. You're aware you're doing it. Like why, what's the problem? And I, and, and I caught myself, you know, the people will see that I wrote about it in the newsletter and even on Twitter. Um, I was wrong. Like my, my immediate response is like, oh, this makes no sense. But then it's like, well, let's unpack it. I, I, here I am writing a blog post for the growth equation on the weekend about this woman that said we shouldn't work on the weekend because it's not so simple. Hmm. So, so this would not be as catchy, but a, a, uh, one, one, uh, yet again, another alternative interpretation of, of Jordan's tweet would be something like take, if you're young, you need to take work very seriously. Which means you have to be, there's a lot of elements to that. This is why it's not catchy. It's a good time to take work seriously because actually that's one of the best things to do when you're young is this is the time to actually uh, establish yourself professionally. What does it mean to take your work seriously? Well, this is complicated. Partially, it means there's a discipline element to it. There's a diligence element to it. There's a figuring out what really matters and doing that work consistently, even though it's hard and not the thing you want to do. Having your 
your barriers up and be very wary about work that takes you away from the core things, busy work, uh, stuff that fills up time and is reactive, but it's not getting you closer to the core things. Figure out what really matters and make sure you do the things that matter, not what you want to matter. You know, be indispensable. Don't be navel gazing about whether or not you like the job or not. Like there's a, there's a, there's a seriousness, like try to understand your craft, get good at your craft and figure out how to, how to do it well. But also taking work seriously means figuring out how it fits into your life. So if you have this image of your, you know, I call it the deep life craft is part of it, but there's these other parts. So get really explicit. This is how it fits in. And here is how the other things fit in. And here is the blend to the, the use the, the word that, that you use more about not balance, but the, or not the blend, what do you call it? The harmony, the harmony, yeah, harmony between the two. Right. Um, and that's all really complicated, but that's really the message. So in some sense, work on the weekends as code for, you got to take work really seriously. You got to do a lot of hard things and come back to them again and again and, and get rid of the stuff that's not hard. And you got to really think hard about how it fits into your life. Now is the time to do that work before things kind of spiral out of control and you're completely burnt out and if not having anything of consequence. That's like a really positive interpretation of work on the weekends. And then the, the completely negative interpretation is um, more hours is better than less. Uh, if you're not busy, you're not going to be happy, you know? And, and, then, and, then, and then that brings up a lot of issues. But basically... You push back on that and then also then saw quite pretty quickly like, oh, that, but that other interpretation overlaps this a little bit too. So let's get back to that. And then we have our own side hobby horse here, which is we don't like the way that a lot of people talk about this. <laughs> so, so, so now I'm moving that off to the side so it doesn't confuse the pragmatic core of this, which is like what you should be doing with work. And then there's our hobby horse, which I come back to too often, which is uh, the people who yell at me, I find frustrating. So, so now I'm doing, I'm trying to separate that a little bit now, now that I realize what's really going on here. And I think the same holds true for both of you gentlemen. I certainly think to my twenties, and if I didn't work on the weekends, I don't think I'd be where I am right now. All of my writing started as a side hustle that happened on the weekends. When I was working at McKinsey and everyone else would obsess over the font size on the slide, I'd be like, this is bullshit. The client's not going to notice. I'm going to go write a blog. When I was at University of Michigan for graduate school and everybody would day drink before football games, I'm like, I don't like being hungover. I'm going to go write a blog. When I started in healthcare doing some physician coaching, I'm like, this is great. What would it look like to expand to the community? Those clients were met with on the weekend often. So... In my 20s, I was following the, you know, Cal, you're so good, you can't ignore you, like really building that capital. And now, because I have, I have all this autonomy in in terms of how I work. So maybe I'm guilty as charged. That I followed a similar path. Um, I mean, I, all of my writing started on the weekends as two or the, the free time, right? Um, but, you know, back then, I'm not sure I didn't see it as work. It was just kind of building a craft. So we can go into this distinction of at that time, it was more like a hobby of something that, oh, this is interesting. I'm going to explore it versus like, oh, I'm working on the weekend to get ahead in the, the current job that I'm pursuing. Um, so that's an interesting distinction uh, there as well. I think. Yeah, I, I think the other part of this on this working through the weekend thing is that it's almost like some people in their 20s need the advice to pull back and go for a walk. Like I'm thinking of friends who were, uh, 
in investment banking and setting up emails to send at 3 a.m. to make it look like they were working, right? Those people probably needed to go deadlift or go on a run or go on a walk. But there's certain other people's another area who probably should be pushed or should be encouraged to, hey, this is you have this time, like fill up that capital, fill up that environment so that you have these experiences or this repertoire of skills that that might come in handy years down the line. Okay, now now I think we're we're circling in here pretty close because this I, I like this formulation better now. I think maybe we're getting closer to to what we all believe, and, and so to like rip off my own terminology. If you're young, you got to figure out how to be so good you can't be ignored, and do so in a way that is both sustainable, so it's not going to burn you out, and is resilient. So you're setting up this as part of a life in which if something bad happens or when the unexpected happens or when that job goes away or this fails, you get sick or a parent dies or whatever, that you are going to be able to actually handle the hardship, right? Those are the two things that it needs to be sustainable and it needs to be resilient so that when hard things happen, you will be the person that people look to, not the person that crumbles within those constraints. You should be getting after it and trying to like do the disciplined work. Maybe it's waking up at four 30 but you're done at four or you're done at three to, you know, to be with your kids or whatever it is. So somehow that's the tension here. It's like really hard and disciplined work to get really good at things, to build career capital, to gain all that autonomy, to gain that satisfaction. But you have to do it against the non-negotiable precondition of it has to be sustainable. So something you could do for the rest of your life, it's not going to burn you out and it has to be resilient. So you has to be part of a life that has other elements, to be connection or whatever, community, uh, philosophy, theology, that's going to mean that also when the bad things happen, you'll be, you'll be able to get through it. Maybe that's the, maybe that's getting closer to the bumper sticker here. So work on the weekends captures part of that, but also implies not part of it. It captures the, Hey, you got to get so good. You can't be ignored. It's hard work. Get after it, but it violates the, this, but you have to do so in a sustainable way, in a way that's going to be resilient in the long term. Like maybe that's the commencement speech that every college grad should hear. And then I think the growth equation, kumbaya, woo-woo, fulfillment, softies that Steve and I would add to the Cal Newport synthesis, that you also want to develop the habit of working from a place of freedom and love and presence, not compulsion. Because if you can do the former, your entire ego and sense of self-worth won't get connected to your work. Whereas if you're constantly working from a place of compulsion via external or internal, that sets you up to be very fragile if something goes wrong. It's not to say that you're never going to feel compelled to work. You will. But the majority of the time, are you working because it is a craft and you're practicing mastery and you're on a path to improve and you enjoy that path? Maybe not every day of it, but the overall path. Or are you doing it to please your parents because you think you'll have a better looking partner if you have a promotion, et cetera, et cetera. So it's get so good they can't ignore you, put in the discipline, do it in a sustainable way, and try to develop habits where you are truly choosing to put in the hard work, not feeling compelled, either from your own insecurity or the outside world. That could be sustainability, right? So um, motivational psychology. If the main sort of locus of control here is on the extrinsic end of the spectrum. You're doing this for your parents. You're doing it because, you know, you need this particular house because that's what you grew up with and you'll be seen as a failure or what have you. Not sustainable because we know that you can't, it's very difficult to maintain extrinsic motivation. If the thing you are doing that's being extrinsically motivated is very demanding and difficult, 
those two things clash and you'll, you'll burn out or shut down at some point or, or, or fall into depression. So we could even let, we could just put that under sustainability that that's part of how you do sustainable skill building is motivational psychology plays a big role. So why you're doing it, what you're doing is going to matter if you're going to satisfy sustainability. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I mean, I think I think we've kind of centered on this this idea. And Cal, you're so good at conceptualizing ideas and packaging them into easy to understand places. So thanks for that. But I think that's what it is. And I think what often happens is we get in this Twitter world where all nuance is lost, right? We just pick one of those areas and we say, oh, like it's all about this grind or it's all about this quote unquote on uh, sustainability. And we forget the most important part, which is like how to integrate all these things into your life. Um, while maintaining, as Brad said there, that ability to choose or that autonomy, uh, which makes it sustainable. Oh, I was just going to say, Steve, as you were saying that I wrote down exactly like another way to think about it is, Work on the weekend. Well, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? How are you doing it? And in what season of your life? And how you answer those questions ultimately says like, well, maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. It depends. Twitter hates yeah. it depends. It depends doesn't get retweets or likes. The internet hates it depends. Will you get COVID? It depends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What? No, it's either good or bad. <laughs> bad people get it. Um, but what I, I think we're getting it and what I particularly like about this approach is that it then allows me to turn back and look at my my hobby horse of getting mad at the uh, the elite anti productivity people because this now becomes clear the issue with the look productivity busyness is something that the bad guy is doing to us and we're the brave people we're the Upton Sinclairs they're sounding the alarm and saying that you know there's there's this culture and. Um, this amorphous villain and culture that's like tricking us into working and, and and we shouldn't, and there's no reason to do it. And it all has to do, and they all quote Max Weber and the Protestant work ethic, which is a, has been largely disproved and thrown, <laughs> thrown out. as like a sociological discussion for a long time. Uh, but, but he comes up a lot, et cetera. Now we can see the problem with that is because, well, wait a second, if it's just busyness or productivity or working, like all of this is just bad. It's just the sign that you are, you know, have, are being exploited. Um, what are you trying to push people towards trying to push people towards, I guess, inactivity and UBI or something like this, whatever the, like this particular utopia. But actually if the real advice that actually brings people most satisfaction is, you know, figure out something that master you, you can do the hard work and get after the master, but doing so in a way that is sustainable and meaningful. That's the whole ticket, you know, figuring out the, how do I, how do I do that and push out the distractions and avoid the stuff that's kind of irrelevant to this. This is what I'm trying to do. And I'm doing the hard work to get it done. And I'm doing it in a way that is sustainable and meaningful. And it's a very hard balance. And that's what my whole life is built around. If that's the answer, then going around and telling people uh, busyness is a sign that you're a bourgeois, you know, pawn, you're pushing people away from the formula that's actually going to get them to that, that sort of resilient satisfaction. So I bring everything back to basically uh, complaining about tweets that I occasionally see. Well, I feel like a lot of that is projection, probably too, that it's an insecurity that these people feel the need to work on their weekend and their identity is so attached to their Twitter feed or their Substack or whatever. And therefore they project on everyone by being like, oh, like I'm going to be a part of this not working on the weekend movement. 
I think UBI would probably be great, but not because it would free those people up, because it would help minimum wage people have to work one job instead of two so they could raise their kids. Um, Back to the who can say what a good life is versus not, I'd argue that in our generation, the most renowned and maybe most thoughtful researcher on this topic is Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. And he developed the concept of flow. He's written a ton about the science of fulfillment. And he's got a book called Good Work that basically argues that if work is freely chosen, not based out of compulsion, done sustainably, that good work is key to a good life. Now, if you just take out the word work because it is all caught up in this cultural, it's good, it's bad, and put it as mastery, I don't think anyone would argue, but maybe they would. Maybe some of those people that bash you, Cal, say mastery is bad too, because mastery separates you from other people and any sense of separateness is bad. Yeah. Um, and, and mastery is also one of the three nutriments in self-determination theory too. So yeah, it definitely, yeah. And Mahaley is someone, by the way, who is, you know, has been throughout his career. He works very hard, right? I mean, he's mastered this, but he's also someone, if you've ever talked to him or met him, is like very high energy and very, you know, engaged with life or whatever, because, uh, he's, it's effort put towards something he finds important in a way that he finds sustainable. So yeah, I think he's a great, yeah, he's a great case study of that. Um, become good at something important and valuable, figure out how to do it, figure out how to do it in a sustainable way. Yeah. All right, good. All right. So good. So we're, we're, we're honing in on a nuanced explanation that explains like a lot of the different views here. We also got in some sort of superfluous cheap shots at sort of anti-work, simplified anti-work tweets that. Simplified anti-work and simplified work. I think that's the thing. Yeah. 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 So it's like productivity being a bad term. Well, it's the exact same. So, so when someone said falls on different sides of productivity, like my readers are very worried about the term, but also very interested in the term. It's probably the exact same thing as the reaction to work on the weekends. Does productivity mean hustle culture? Because there's a problem with that. Where's that going to get you? It's going to burn you out. Does productivity mean, oh, I'm trying to figure out how to make mastery sustainable, make sure I get the important stuff done, keep the other stuff at bay, then it could be really positive, right? So it's, it's all about the, what is it referring to? We're all noodling on this. Yeah. I mean, I think so- we're probably there. It's just more nuance. It depends. Define the terms more concretely and um most things that are pithy tweets are deserving of more than 280 characters to unpack yeah yeah so there's a lot of people yeah all right we've solved twitter (laughs) maybe 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 work on the weekends maybe don't work on the weekends it's less about any particular prescription in more about the sustainability, the reasons why the season of your life, the freedom compulsion dichotomy. And, you know, for God's sake, let's separate the Amazon warehouse employee or double minimum wage worker that's working on the weekend from the person in the media that is writing for one of the big three publications or whatever that is complaining about their need to work on the weekend. I'm not saying that both aren't valid, but those are very separate problems and very separate potential solutions. What's your summary, Steve? So I think, I think if I'm looking at it, I think it's 
understanding this, first off, understanding this kind of internal, external, this compulsion, where do you fall on this line? Um, I think another important part that we kind of dabbled around is, A, do you have the skill set developed yet? Where are you at in your trajectory? And then B, is do you have the autonomy or the freedom to be able to decide at this point whether you need to, whether you can work on the weekends or not, which is another important part. And if so, then it's, you know, just like your summary before, it's finding a way to be able to choose to do the work that you enjoy and uh, in a sustainable manner. So my, my fifth my fifth formulation of summarizing this now is going to be uh, work hard, but on your own terms. So if you miss that target to either way, it's trouble. If you're working hard, but not on your own terms, that can be incredibly oppressive and can burn you out, whether that be an economic situation where you have no choice but to work or it's an extrinsic motivation, culturally, your parents, whatever. That's a road that is not going to lead to happiness. On the other hand, if you're not working hard on anything that's meaningful or important to you, we also know whether we like it or not, that's a rough road to go on as well. You are now very vulnerable uh, to hard things and setbacks in your life. It's not it's it, it's not lined with human psychology. So how, the, the target in the middle, perhaps then, is work hard, uh, but on your own terms. Of course, that's super complicated, and it may or may not involve working on weekends. And I guess whether or not you end up there is sort of beside the point. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter, at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.